Welcome back to our conversations here at Penelope's Loom. I'm Katie Saunders, and of course, my good friend Shannon uh, is joining me today. We are talking about how to love our enemies in today's crazy world. Um, We have a great conversation for you about that. We also discuss some fun things like commonplace quotes, and uh, we're even joined for a short bit by Shannon's son, John. If you enjoy the episode, we would love for you to uh, rate us on um, Apple Podcasts. Uh, You can also reach out to us with questions or comments at editor.penelopesloom at gmail.com or on Facebook or Instagram. All right, with that, let's get going. Hey there, Shannon. Hi, Kate. How are you to do today? Today, today. I'm, <laughs> I'm doing pretty well, all things considered. How about yourself? Good. I'm doing all right. Yep. Good. Doing, doing well. We're under the two month mark, so. Yes. Yeah, and oh my, my little boy just turned six months today. Oh so, wow. Awesome. Yeah anniversaries abound anniversary is the wrong word that means year but you know what I mean yes (laughs) oh wow that's awesome I know hard to believe that six months has passed um since he was born that's crazy 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 do you find the last six months of pregnancy to go faster or slower than the first six months of their life pregnancy slower definitely yeah I and I would assume. I should also say, I think that the first six months of their life speeds up with subsequent children. Only on number two, hmm. but I think the first six months of Elisa's life probably almost certainly le- felt longer than John's here. Just because everything more going on. Yeah. Like your brain is stretching in, in totally different ways with number one, I think. Right. So, yeah. yeah, but it's been, gosh, that's great to have two. It's great to have a new little person, you know, yeah. and to see him become who he is. So, yeah, so things are good here. Um, spring seems to be springing. Yeah, uh-huh. here too. There's sunshine. It's uh, shocking. <laughs> really exciting for Fort Wayne like days we've had days in a row of sunshine oh oh, yeah that is exciting so all of my vitamin d stores are filling up okay it's exciting good (laughs) that's super important yep yep yeah all right well let's um uh let's start with a good question just about what we are, uh, what are you thinking about? What have you been learning about lately concerning current events? Oh man. Since okay. we talked about disunity in the country last time, I thought just a brief update on what we've read or heard or thought about since then on yeah. what's going on in the country. <sighs> I mean, my, my answer is a little bit of a non-answer for you, I guess, <laughs> in that, uh, I actually try really hard not to dwell on those kinds of things (laughs) too much. And especially, I know I mentioned last time that one of my Lenten observances this year is um, not consuming as much news 
to very little news at honestly. Um, I figure if it's so important that it's actually going to affect my life, I'll probably end up hearing about it from someone and that's just fine. Um, and you know, being a couple weeks in, it's been two weeks in a day since Ash Wednesday. Um, it's really remarkable how quickly that makes a, a positive effect on, on my life anyway, of not, not feeling like every little thing that's reported on is as big of a deal as the news wants to make it. Even, even news sources that I trust, you know, like they're in the business of publishing news. So that means something's going to be on their front page or like the top headline on that app or whatever. Um, and there's very few of those things that actually I need to know on a day-to-day basis. And so I suppose, um, you know, without uh, day-to-day reminders of how everything's going to hell in a handbasket, not to say that it isn't, it definitely still is, but without being reminded of that consistently, um, I feel like my efforts towards finding a solution to that are um, much much better, much, uh, much more effective. That's the word I'm looking for because I just get to be a, a good, happy mom, hopefully most, most of my day trying to, you know, serve those that I actually interact with on a day-to-day basis, my family and friends and community here. So what about you? So yeah, out what's going on in the world. That's really funny because my answer is the exact opposite of yours um usually in the past I have purposely avoided at all costs news and kept my head down and lately it has been the complete opposite I think it's because I think once you get started in it it's easier to like keep following it regularly because you actually it's like following a story you know what's been going on if you jump in and it's been a while since you've like paid any attention to current events, it's hard. Cause you're like, who is that guy? Everybody seems to know who that guy is. And I have no idea who he is. Um, (laughs) so, and then also what's contributed to that is you sharing the recommendation to listen to the Megan Kelly show, the Megan Kelly show, um, podcast, which is, I've been enjoying that immensely, probably listened to four or five episodes in the past week. Oh, wow. Nice. See, I I probably average listening to one of the three that she produces a week. Keep going. It's going to slow down and it's not. Okay. So the thing about her is that I don't agree with, with all of her politics and I don't agree with all of her beliefs, but man, she speaks my language in, in terms of like, she wants to, first of all, use common sense which is huge in the news. I love it. Cause so many, so few people use common sense now. Um, she, it, she admits her biases, which is really nice. And um, so you kind of know where she stands. Um, and so I feel like if she's twisting something, I know how she's doing it and she's not trying to manipulate me. I love that. Anyway, so I've been listening to her and um, that has driven me to kind of think a lot, 
a lot lately about um, masks and COVID and mm-hmm. especially, so I feel like I really need to say this because I am ready. I have not been wearing masks in stores the last few days, uh, probably in the last week. I am over seven months pregnant. So that helps a lot. I think people aren't going to come yell at me that I'm not wearing a mask because good. if I'm they so do, they've got another thing coming. Right. Exactly. Um, it's just such an easy thing to fall back on. Uh, people can despise me for using my pregnancy in that way. I don't care. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. I was in the same boat this past summer. Yeah. It was summer and I was right. nine months pregnant. I was like, I'm not where I can barely breathe as it is. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. I'm not putting something over my mouth. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so that's been one thing where, I, and, and the reason for that is not because I'm some horrible human who doesn't want to protect my neighbor, but it's literally because there've been so many studies that have come out now. And if the news would just stop trying to manipulate us, uh, everybody would know about them. There've been so many studies that have come out now that say masks don't do anything anyway. They don't do anything, okay? They've been doing these studies since the beginning of the summer last year. All over the world, not just here. They don't do anything. So so one, there's that. Two, I'm pregnant. Three, I already had COVID. And it's also been proven that if you've already had COVID, you, COVID, you basically have the same level of immunity as probably more, actually, um, as if you had gotten the vaccine. So... So I'm just, I'm at this point, I'm like, this mask thing has got to stop. And uh, the only reason that it's allowed to go on is because we're all consenting to it. Mm-hmm. And we don't need to consent to this anymore. Come on, rule by the people. This isn't a law. It's a mandate by our governors. And it's a stupid mandate. We're not going to, we don't need to listen to it anymore. Yeah. Um, so that's like one thing that I've been thinking a lot about. The other thing that I have to mention, because I think people need to go check it out. Um Man, this article is a little bit long, but uh, First Things published a, an article a while back on the Equality Act. What to know about the Equality Act. Yes. Um, which is, so the Equality Act and the Do No Harm Act, which are two bills that are most likely going to be signed into law very soon. Yeah. Um, I think that if you are a conscientious Christian you know, if you don't want to read first things, you want to read something else, fine. If you want to know a good place to start, go check out the first things article, what to know about the Equality Act. I've been working my way through it. Uh, It's all pretty basic stuff that we would expect, um, but it's really nice to have it broken down and to be educated about it. Um, Basically what's happening is President Biden is calling abortion healthcare and the Equality Act is wanting to make abortion um, the same as certain kinds of treatment that we already consider, you know, normal and acceptable, such as cancer treatments or setting a broken bone or dialysis. Um, they make this great point in the article that, um, there is no moral argument. I mean, not really for opposing dialysis, chemotherapy, stitching up a wound, setting a fractured arm. That's straight from the article. To say that abortion is just like those things 
is to say that there is no moral argument against abortion. And as we know, the country is radically divided along this issue. And most people in this country, okay, I'm going to say most because I think it's more than half, um, actually believe, if nothing else, they believe there's a moral argument to be, ha- to be made against abortion or that there's at least a discussion that needs to happen about whether or not abortion is, is right or wrong. Um, so this is dangerous that the Equality Act would set up this kind of precedent. The other thing that I think people need to realize that I've been thinking a lot about is we think a lot about our judges and especially the Supreme Court in terms of abortion. And we need to remember that legislation is much more powerful than what our justices can do and what the law or what the um, courts can do. And we need to be very careful about what kind of laws are passed because once the law is passed, it is very difficult to take it back and overturn it. So anyway, at least educate yourself and go read about that. And um, man, if you voted for Biden, please think carefully about this for, the, for future votes because to me, this is, this is pretty despicable. All right, that's my rant. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> oh, what should I say? What should I say? I've been thinking about this uh, for days, okay? And I think it's, I mean, gosh, it's hard not to. Um, I think especially if you've actually been taught, uh, if you've actually had a course in the Constitution and you recognize just how jacked up our government is, so things, you know, what you were just saying about people making a big deal about judges all the time, it's like, okay, but our Congress has turned into a whole bunch of cowards. Like they don't actually pass meaningful legislation. They pass stuff that has to do with money and that's it. And that's because they have to. And even then the amount of pork involved um, is just insane. Just it's self-serving awfulness. Sorry. I don't have good words for it. So I'm trying to just gloss over this. Um, a lot of it is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. it's just, it's really despicable. And it's, it's very sad that um, our government it, it functions the way that it does. That, that is to say, it basically doesn't function anymore. And we've made the presidency into an elected emperor um, that maybe changes every four years, maybe every eight. Um, and like have him or potentially her appoint the people who are going to end up ruling in favor or against the various serious cultural slash moral arguments going on um, in in our society right now. You know, like we want to look to the Supreme Court for everything. What? Like, I thought we didn't want monarchy, didn't want oligarchy, you know, like, right. There's a reason that Congress is the first article of, of the Constitution. It's supposed to be the most important branch of the government. Right. Um, Check and balances, we can, people. Come on. It's basic. Right. Yeah. 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 
and we've just completely lost that understanding. And then, and then Congress does decide to use its power when it, you know, it's completely, uh, uh, when the majority is, is entirely with one party, uh, and scary things like this happen, you know, the, the kinds of things that, uh, at least where I live, make a lot of people go out and say, okay, I'm going to acquire more firearms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, exactly. And I'm going to be less communicative with, with, with all these others who don't, don't see the same world that I do. Don't recognize the um, principles and, and virtues that I do. So. Right. Okay. We're going to come all the way back around to that because that's going to be one of our, it's going to be part of our main topic for today. So. Yeah. Yeah. But before we do that, really quickly, just for fun, Shannon. So we built this website. It's kind of cool. Penelope'sloom.org. What's your favorite part of the website and why? You can pick a page, a certain, you know, certain content you like, what you enjoy working on, um, whatever, whatever you want. Uh, that is an incredibly easy answer for me, Kate. And that is... <laughs> uh, <laughs> the the artwork that largely you are responsible for putting in that space and and you know you you've devoted a particular page to it the contemplating beauty page um and um make it very accessible and educational to anyone who's wanting to know more about the artwork that is included there but you just you have great taste first of all and second you know it's it's just so wonderful to spend time with beautiful things, unapologetically beautiful things that are meant to transcend and to remind us of, of not earthly things, I suppose. Uh, and that is, it's a very good use of time. I, I love looking at all of the, the artwork that you've accumulated and accumulated is the wrong word. Uh, what's, What's the word when a, a museum is procured? Proc- you have procured. <laughs> Ours are hard sometimes. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, well, I, I'm so glad that you like that. Uh, it's, it's one of my favorite things too. I love working on it. And I, got, I, I wanted to do something like that because uh, it's hard to find, especially I think it, it started with like school um, websites where they would have a nice piece of artwork up or even blogs, um, some, some nice blogs that I've read. They use nice artwork to decorate. And, but it's impossible. Like I have to search for the Google image. And, mm. and even then, like sometimes I have a hard time finding what exactly it is. And then it's also just scattered everywhere. And so, um, yeah, I just thought, you know, why not? just kind of create a gallery and make it I don't know I'm it yeah I don't keep it very up to date but it's there it's nice it's and you know the great thing is it's not our content it's you know yeah and that I think is one of my favorite things about it is it's like this is stuff that is worth knowing about and worth looking at we are not creating this at all it's just collect, we're just collecting it. Um, so anyway, it's a good use of screens. Yes, yes, 
one of the, the few good uses, I would say. Awesome. All right. So let's move on to um, our commonplace quotes for this week. Um, I really enjoy sharing these as well. Um, we'll start with one from William Shakespeare's play uh, Richard II. Um, recently, I've been watching The Hollow Crown, which I highly recommend. Um, and I really, really like this speech. This is from Richard's prison speech. Um, in Act five, 5, Scene 5. Hi, John. That's John. John has joined us, and it's great. Yes, he has. <laughs> All right, so here we go. I have been studying how I may compare this prison where I live unto the world. And for because the world is populous, and here is not a creature but myself, I cannot do it. Yet I'll hammer it out. My brain, I'll prove the female to my soul, my soul the father, and these two beget a generation of still-breeding thoughts. And these same thoughts people this little world, in humors like the people of this world, for no thought is contented. The better sort, as thoughts of things divine, are intermixed with scruples and do set the word itself against the word. I just, the word itself against the word, yeah. Yeah. I, I like this one. I, I love, I teach a little bit of poetry right now. And um, I love telling my students, you know, look for the comparison. Mm. And this one is so easy, right? Because he's comparing his little prison to, to the world and trying to figure out how they could be similar and, and comes to this realization that they're not obviously similar. He's determined to figure it out. So anyway, this one is on friendship by Cicero in his work on duties. Even in friendships, therefore, when you compare what seems advantageous with right action, the mere appearance of advantage should yield and right action should prevail. Moreover, when friends ask you to do things that are not right, the scruple of conscience and trustworthiness should take precedence over friendship. What a... What a necessary, um, necessary reminder uh, as we are constantly told that, you know, love is love and tolerance are, are the most important things in relationships these days. Uh, Cicero reminds us like, no, virtue is what has to take precedence. And if, if you're not encouraging virtue in those that you say that you love, then you're not really loving them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, another one. This is a poem by William Blake called A Poison Tree. I was angry with my friend. I told my wrath, my wrath did end. I was angry with my foe. I told it not, my wrath did grow. And I watered it in fears, night and morning with my tears. And I sunned it with smiles and with soft, deceitful wiles. And it grew both day and night till it bore an apple bright. And my foe beheld it shine and he knew that it was mine. And into my garden stole when the night had veiled the pole. In the morning, glad I see 
my foes outstretched beneath the tree. Ooh. All right. We're definitely going to get into that one, I think, today. Yeah, Um, I think so, too, with our topic. So, yeah, I love the imagery there of wrath producing producing a tree that then produces that the poison apple that is going to kill your enemy. And also that, that it stems from not like the very first stanza, it stems from not having just saying it, you know, like from not having told it. Um, That's so, so poignant. Right. The difference between uh, letting it go and watering it and feeding it and allowing it to grow yeah oof well there's one left here um do you want to read it shannon or should i uh go ahead okay uh so this is from mandel creighton uh he was an archbishop i believe in london during the 19th century um in the in the anglican church um church of england i believe um, I might be remembering that wrong. Don't quote me. All right. So <laughs> the quote goes like this. Remember that the, utter, the uttermost penalty was reserved for him who could say to his brother, thou fool, because contempt was the most ungodlike quality which man could display. Beware above all things, lest a little knowledge only reinforce conceit and lead you into a false world self is enthroned far away from the true world which is illuminated by the love of god manifested in the person of the incarnate word yeah false world where self is enthroned mm. and and that the the thing that leads you there is just a little knowledge you know how, how many of us is that? How much is that me? You know? Um, oh, I learned this little bit. Now I know everything. Now I know something. Yes. Oh my gosh. It's like every senior in high school or freshman in college. <laughs> yes. And, and me right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Little knowledge is dangerous. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Well, um, those are those are wonderful to contemplate um i mean we could just talk about those but we specifically want to talk today about um the topic of loving your your enemy and um i think shannon you've been thinking about this a lot um lately and um it's been something that you've especially been contemplating and brought it to my attention. I've been thinking about it the last few days a little bit. And um, we've been, yeah, we want to talk about what that, what that looks like in our daily life. Um, so yeah, what are your, I'll, I'll let you kind of go from there. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you're right. This has been something that's been on my mind recently. And, and I would say that it largely comes from the the difficult situation that I think so many of us find ourselves in uh, right now in our 
in our day-to-day lives with people that we love, um, with friends, with family members who, uh, it, it was really striking to me in our last conversation that you brought up the, the reality of like, you know, you look back even, even just 20 years, like early 2000s, late nineties, it's not as though people could have political conversations civilly and, oh, weren't, weren't those the days it's that people were able to have conversations without having like without political implications constantly being present. And that just doesn't seem possible anymore. Everything, everything has a political connotation. And so that means that we have seen, seen those differences uh, in ways or at times that we haven't in the past. And even amongst those who we're very close to, um, either, you know, by blood, you know, family members, that's, that's easier maybe to, to contemplate, you know, the, the aunt or the uncle at Thanksgiving, that's like, oh, you know, they have different political views than us. Um, but even good friends who, um, you, I know this is the case for us. Like we have people that we know and love from our college years. Um, who now there's, there's differences there that, that 10 years ago, we never would have anticipated, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's this very difficult position that I think so many Christians have been put into, um, especially in the last five years in which we have this mission to love our enemies in a far more real day-to-day way than, uh, than maybe we've had to think about before. And so that in my mind begs the question of like, okay, what does that actually mean? Like, what does that mean in my day-to-day life in, um, in a world that has canceled, cancel culture in, uh, John in wants world to talk too. He just yeah, wants to jump in. That's exactly right. He's really enjoying his Lincoln log, and I'm grateful. Um, <laughs> what does that mean in a world that has political correctness and promotes things like the word that you constantly hear our president saying at this point is equity, right? And that's not necessarily like this equality of um, it's not necessarily as a quality of, um, opportunity as has normally been the, the way that Americans have understood that, but, but we are going to, to make things equal in outcome. Right. right. Um, and so that means making sure that anyone we deem to be privileged needs to be taken down a peg or two. And it, there's just so much more that's hostile towards uh, having a principled outlook that has clear definitions. And we have to know what to do with that. Right. Yeah. I think it's a great conversation to have too, because um, our, our society and our culture today is um, it, it, it is its own. Um, I think, especially 
those of us who love history, um, we love to make comparisons and say, well, it's, I mean, I do this all the time. I love doing it. You know, talking about the comparison between the United States and Rome before it fell and, um, you know, the different commonwealths and the different kingdoms in the medieval era, um, in, you know, the empire of, of Great Britain uh, at its height. Um, it's easy to compare and try to draw conclusions based on on that, but it's also good, I think, to remember that, you know, this is, I think you said last time, we're still living in history and um, we're not, so we're not above it, but, but we're also not trying to fit our society or our time period into some historical mold um, where, where we are, ex you know, exactly like some other culture we're our own culture and that means that we we need to answer this question for ourselves, um just yeah. like they, they had to um and yeah we have this cancel culture that's kind of running rampant right now and subculture whatever you want to call it um we have a lot going on and we're very divided and yet at the same time we're a huge nation and we are also divided in, in just space and location. Um, and that, that translates into differences, natural differences about how we live our lives. You know, I live my life a very different way than somebody who lives in Arizona or California or um, even Northern Minnesota where we lived last year um, necessarily just because of climate and um, economy here versus there. Um, so even if we didn't have all of these ideological differences, we are, our, our specific challenge in America is, is also, it also just has to do with how our country is constructed. Um, so it's a good thing to, to look at and try to answer. And I guess my, my question is, you know, when we hear the phrase, love your enemy, does that automatically translate into, put up with them, whatever they want to believe, whatever they think is true, let them, let them believe it and let them act that way and let them, let them live that way. That's what loving, loving your enemy is, is just saying, okay, fine. Whatever you want is fine. I'm going to do what I want. You do what you want. You do you, I'll do me, whatever the catchphrase is today. Um, <laughs> and that's loving my enemy because I'm not going to tell him what's right or wrong. I'm just going to let him be. I don't know. That's, that's a really good question because like, I think it depends on, ah, this is going to sound like an awful not answer, I think, but maybe it depends on the biblical like definition of enemy, right? Are we talking about enemy as in like the Philistines where, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like clearly the Israelites were going to go kill some Philistines and they can don't you do you goliath you do you you know like we'll just have david over here with the slingshot um great <laughs> or are we talking about um are we talking about loving our friends and family members in a way that cicero says here in the quote that we just read where 
you're appealing to a common understanding of virtue, right? Um, you're holding each other to a standard. To this. Right, but it has to be a standard that is agreed upon, right? Because otherwise it's not going right. to work. Right. That's, that's the hard part is I don't know. I think we can say with, without doubt that, that we have um, enemies in our culture, um, as in, in our country, rather, um, as, as things currently stand, but being able to like clearly, clearly define who that is in our day-to-day lives might be really difficult. So I think that the question really comes down to the difference between love loving our enemies versus loving our friends, right? And it's so easy to classify everyone as an enemy or everyone as a friend, but, you know, there's, there's clearly a difference, you know, who falls into those categories is something that I think is a necessary, um, a necessary understanding before you can begin to to understand the proper reaction and the the best way to engage with those two different groups of people do you agree i don't know am i making sense yes uh you're definitely making sense i i think that is the question uh what is an enemy how do you identify the enemy um what it makes me want to ask or what it makes me think of is um, do we consider, you know, do we, do we commonly do this where we divide people in our lives between enemies and friends? Um, I mean, I think it'd be weird to make a list, right? <laughs> right. And that, that's what I mean. Like when we, when I treat, you know, even people who I really do not like, and there are people that I do not like, I mean, we all have those people. Um, I still tr- like in person, I still treat them in a very similar way that I treat the, I mean, of course, there are big differences, right? But with, I mean, with the people who you consider your friends, who you like, you're going to be a lot more easy with them. Um, but the people who I who I would, you know, say I don't like this person, and I might even call them an enemy. To their face, I don't. I'm not fighting with them. It's not like I'm going into battle with them. So mm-hmm. it that's. I, I don't know if that maybe. I don't know if that makes, you know, it's just an interesting like distinction between, um, I, I guess like biblically we were, we were saying, you know, if we're talking about loving your enemies, according to what the Bible says, um, you know, the first on the list is the devil mm-hmm. and he is someone who I would go to battle with. Right. Like I don't feel any need to love the devil that's always been an interesting question in my mind, like love your enemies. 
Well, the devil's our top. He's top of, of the enemies, top on the list. And I'm not going to love him. So it's very interesting. Um, but of course, then, you know, we also have that idea of like the world and our sinful flesh. Like, these are all our enemies. These are things we fight against. Um, so maybe we need to narrow it down to, to that, the world part of that. Like, we're going to say that the world is our enemy. Um, I mean, it's the only thing or this, this world is, is all we can hope. No, that, okay. Let me rephrase that. We can affect change in the present and that's it, right? Mm-hmm. We can affect change in the present world and in eternity for those who are in our life for ourselves and those currently in this piece of time, right? But we can't affect change for things that, that are outside of time that have already occurred, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah. I, think, I think that's an important component. Like we obviously do battle with uh, the devil and all his agents uh, on, on a regular basis that's we're called to do that as christians you know there's there's so many there's so many verses in the bible especially uh the old testament but even the new testament that you know make it very clear that we uh that we have an enemy in evil and anything that stands for evil and christ seems to be making clear like you will have enemies like you are going to have people who stand against you who work against good and Christianity, you know, um, it's, it's, uh, I, I think it's slightly different in how we categorize those people though, because of course we still hope that they can be saved. Yes. Right. We still hope that we can convert them. Right. Right. And so, so maybe there's kind of three categories. There's like the eternally damned people who are already there and will forever be an enemy or the enemy there are those who are currently enemies but might not be eternally damned and then there are friends i don't know does that seem like appropriate categories for you yeah although i would say that even those who are already off of this i mean outside of time out of this earth and damned whoever they may be (laughs) Uh, since we aren't really privileged to know that information. I pity them. I don't necessarily consider them an enemy. Right. Um, I guess I'm, I'm thinking less of the souls in hell than the angels who tend to. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. The demons. Yeah. The devil and the demons. Okay. So principalities, the evil principalities of hell, definitely enemies. Okay, so here, okay, you're getting exactly to where, where I think about this. So when Christ says, love your enemies, this is what I wonder. I wonder if saying love your enemies is his way of saying they aren't really your enemies. Uh, and what I mean by that is they oppose you. They might even want to kill you. But they are still my creation. And they, I, I love even them, the ones who want to kill you. I love them so much that I died for them. So if I loved them enough to die for them, ought, ought you not to love them in the same way? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and think of them not as an enemy, but as a friend, even while they are desiring to kill you. 
Um, and when you think about it that way, it seems very strange, but I do wonder if that's what Jesus means. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, this is not you, like you, because I died for everybody, you don't get the right anymore. You don't, you don't have that freedom or luxury. I call it a luxury to hate people, anybody, even if they're evil. Um, because like, think about this. If, if we, you know, hate the vilest person and I'll make a distinction in a minute, but if we hate them, does that do anything to make them less vile or make their evil less potent? No, it doesn't. But if we love them to the point of doing whatever we can to convert them, to help them, to serve them, to somehow in any possible way, you know, change them um, through whatever small means we have, you know, that is the only thing that might make a difference. Hating them is not going to make that difference. The, Mm -hmm. The only reason like we, you know, take somebody like Hitler, like, let's just take the worst person we can all think of. Um, you know, the, the only reason that we fight against Hitler is not because we hate Hitler, but because we're trying to protect the people he's trying to hurt. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess the, what I'm wondering is what we do with, you know, the commands. I'm, the, I'm thinking of a couple of examples. The first seems to be, you know, when, when Jesus is commissioning the apostles to go out and preach the gospel, like kind of, I think it's at the beginning of the gospels, it's at the beginning of Luke, if I remember correctly, and when he sends out the 72 and he tells them, you know, and if they don't accept you, you shake the, the dust from your sandals and you move on, right. you know, um, and there are several instances in the epistles, uh, especially when Paul is writing them, writing them, though I don't think it's exclusive to to his letters, um, in which, like he he pretty specifically says, okay, at, at some point you say this this person's no longer a member of our church. They're they're no like they need to be placed outside um, because they aren't living a Christian life. They aren't adhering to the teachings of the church. Um, and so like there, there needs to be, they need to be rebuked. Right. Um, so there does, I, I bring those two things up just because there does seem to be, maybe it's just like a practical point of there, there is a point at which, okay, yes, we want everyone who can get to heaven to get to heaven. We want everyone to embrace the saving grace that was um, won for them on the cross, right? Um, But that's not going to happen universally. And this is the point where you draw the line. You know, maybe maybe both Christ and and Paul's recommendations are, are entirely practical in that regard. Um, But 
point being, there does seem to be a place at which you do stop seeking the salvation of like that town's souls, you know, the, yeah, the people I, that rejected you. Right? I think that there's a question of vocation here and there's a big difference between mm. um, like you and I loving our enemies versus the church uh, formally um, evangelizing. And um, there's a place where, you know, especially, especially for the lay people, for people like you and me. Yeah. At some point we don't go there anymore um, for whatever reason. There's even a point where the church says uh, you're cut, cut out. And mm-hmm. now I would argue that something like excommunication, cutting somebody out of the church community um, and not allowing them to commune, et cetera, um, that uh, historically and properly has always been used. Um, okay. It's been misused so much, but officially how it ought to be used is actually in a, in a loving manner for the purpose of saying your sin is so great that this is what has to happen. You are so unrepentant of your great sin that this is what has to happen with, with what being the goal that it jostles you, that it wakes you up and you Mm -hmm. see, wow, I've been kicked out. I'm going to, I'm going to run back like the prodigal son and repent. Mm-hmm. You know, and then of course the church will, will forgive you um, and God forgives. But so there's a, like, to, I think there's a purpose to that for the church as an institution for, you know, priests, pastors, men in that, in that role, um, they're doing something very specific. And there is something very specific that the apostles are doing, that the disciples are doing when they're shaking the dust off their feet and leaving. Um it is very much in the same way as like the angel saying to Lot, leave Sodom and Gomorrah, leave this place. Now we're going to drag you out of here. Um, I think at some, at some point that's a formal judgment on that place. Yeah. Um, And it's, again, it's actually God's judgment um, and it's being enacted by those who are, who have that vocation who have the, you know, the job of actually standing in for Christ and saying, I'm leaving. (laughs) We've, we've preached the good news. You've totally rejected us. This Mm -hmm. is God's judgment. So we're leaving to to me. That's very different than um, a lay person asking the question, how do I love my enemies? Um, Because even for the lay person, you know, you've got the excommunicated person uh, in the community. You, you still have the ability to, if it's safe, you know, whatever. Um, to go and love that person and, mm-hmm. and um, uh, you know, maybe even be a source of encouragement to them to, uh, to repent and come back. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I wonder if, like getting back to the original question then, I wonder if there's um, like, so do we mean love our enemies? Do we mean love the people that we don't like? Is that more a, a more practical way of talking about it? Or love the people who we, um, we are wary of? We're trying, you know, we are not going to spend a lot of time around these people. We're not going to take our children around these people. 
um, because we're protecting our children. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, like that's something that I can definitely relate to. Um, there are certain folks, <laughs> certain groups, certain communities that I definitely would not be like, all right, I'm going to love my enemies. So let's go kids. Yeah. We're, we're going to go yeah. be part of these, <laughs> go hang out with these people. Um, yeah. I think so it, in considering the differences, uh, just like the basic difference between an enemy and a friend, the, the best distinction that I can draw in my mind, uh, the best like marker of just very practically how to engage with those who are um, living a life for Christ versus those maybe who are not, or you don't see eye to eye in the way that, that, that you're defining that. Um, I think it, I think maybe an easy marker would be um, people you can have a conversation with and people you can't. Right. And I think that goes back to what we were saying before of like having a common standard, a common uh, core set of virtues that you're both able to go back to, that you're both able to refer to. Um, without that, you're probably not going to have a very productive conversation or it's not really going to be conversation. It's going to be like talking at one another or maybe you know, not even talking, maybe more raised voices. And there's, there's not actually dialogue, you know, it's two people having a monologue. Um, and I think that is a really helpful, practical way for a modern Christian to know how, how they're called to interact with everyone in their life, everyone in their circle, because it's not, it's not as easy as maybe it once was, maybe. I mean, I know that political divides have already always existed, cultural divides have already existed, but um, we seem so divided now that uh, within your own family, you're going to have people who you might not be able to have a conversation with about anything moral (laughs) Um, within your own community, you're going to have that. Maybe even within your own parish or or church. And so it seems that that figuring out the, the, the way that you can productively interact with, um, with others is, is the best, the best step forward. I don't know. What are your thoughts to that? (laughs) Yeah. Um, this is increasingly difficult. I think that I'm in my own life. Um, the, the more I encounter it, that situation of someone who is close to me in whatever capacity, all those ways you just described, um, you know, how do I interact with them? And what I, okay, what I'll start with what I've observed, what I've observed, especially with our generation and, and those younger than us is uh, there is a, very persistent determination to be entirely flippant and 
not serious about anything. Yeah. Irony. It's a huge problem. I totally agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, it drives, quite frankly, it drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also makes it so difficult to have a conversation because, not because the conversation will be hard. Okay. Yeah. The conversation is probably going to be awkward anyway, because we probably disagree on a lot. Um, but just even getting to the point of being able to say like, Hey, let's, <laughs> let's have a, an actual serious conversation. Let's have a real conversation about something that matters. Um, you know, because the immediate response is like, <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> I want to joke around. Can you, can you give me an example? Cause I, I know exactly what you're talking about, but I think it might be easier for me to, to work with sure. like, specifics. Sure. Um, so an example of like a serious conversation that you would have in that situation? Yeah, in the overall like flippant, ironic, eye-rolling tone. Yes, <laughs> that okay. affects everything. Right. Um, so I love having f- fun playing games and, and just having a good time. So I have no problem with that. I'm not saying like every time you hang out with people, you should be super serious. Um, <laughs> so that should be clear. But <clears throat> what I mean is when when anything that is a serious topic is mentioned or alluded to, it's alluded to as a joke. So whether it's politics, that's a really easy one. Um, you know, there's, there's always a zinger. There's always a, gotta be a joke. We're not really going to talk about this. Um, or, um, you know, any, anything like any social issue, um, even if you mention, say, the transgender issue or abortion or anything like that, um, the, the young person's tendency is to just kind of shrug their shoulders or guffaw, you know? Um, and I, yeah, I'm trying to think of some other, some other examples. Um, oh, the biggest one church, um, reading the Bible in your personal life, talking at all Mm -hmm. about scripture, uh, talking about how, oh, you have something hard going on. You know, your job is difficult. You need to, you're looking for a different job. You've lost your job. Um, something's going on inside your family. Somebody's sick. Um, the ability to speak about Christ and um, what scripture has to offer in, in the way of true, real, deep comfort uh, is, in my experience, it's like, whoa, you're one of those Bible believing, spouting, that's weird. Like, I don't need to hear about that. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes me feel awkward. <laughs> and quick make a joke like let's get back um and i I think it also just has to do with like um our our very consumerist um attitude as well connected to like instagram and um thing instant gratification you know i'm taking things in really quickly about your life and so nothing ever needs to be more than skin deep because that's what I'm used to. And that's what I do every single day. Anyways, that's how I interact with everyone I know is through pictures online on my phone. Um, so all of that to say, like, 
to me, that all contributes to a very superfluous, uh, skin deep attitude where then even just beginning a serious conversation where you might disagree. And now you need to figure out how you're going to disagree politely with each other and have a good mm-hmm. conversation. You, you can't even get to that point. Yeah. Though I want to push back just a little bit. Um, because it seems to me that there's, there's a flip side to that coin. There are some things that may not be taken lightly anymore and everything has to be very serious about it, right? So like the current witch hunting tendency we have towards like, wait, you said something possibly vaguely racist or you made a joke on Twitter 15 years ago that was in quotes homophobic you know, like the, the inability to take a joke anymore, right, seems to also be a chronic condition in our culture, right? Only about certain things, right? Only about the things that, that are very enlightened, uh, modern understanding of, you know, psychology and biology and everything going on within the human person. Only now can we truly understand that that those jokes are hurtful. Um, and if we ever make a joke about such things again, then there will be blood or something like that. You know, I just the 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 seriousness with which everything has to be taken. On the other hand, you know, when, like you flip on the news and and uh, I don't know. I, I don't ever flip on the news anymore. So I don't have everything very like but good yeah, examples. And- but but the constant uh making making everything into this super serious, like can you believe that this Republican senator did such and such? Right. Like what an affront to humanity, right? Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, def- I definitely think that, that that fits, though, because um, if, if we are so wrapped up and absorbed in our superficial lives, it, it does kind of, you know, for the young people, it, it makes sense that, like, we get to this point where, well, we still want to care about something, and mm-hmm. this is what we can care about. So, uh, and we don't have to think deeply about it to care about it. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, ask, you're told ask, what to think. Right, exactly. I, I mean, ask, ask a young person to actually articulate, you know, let's just pick one. Like, um, why do we need an organization like BLM? Can you tell me why we need that? Uh, explain to me why racism is um, such a terrible problem today. Explain that to me. Like, as soon as you ask a real question, no, there's no conversation. Yeah. Um, what are they going to say? Well, they might have some mm-hmm. talking points, I guess. Um, but, but more than likely, it'll be something about how they feel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that's what I mean. I don't even necessarily mean that it's always a, a joking th- attitude of like, we're just going to laugh at everything. But 
it is a skin deep attitude. It's a skin deep understanding of anything real. Um, yeah. We are not going to look at this deeply and uh, <laughs> that's too confusing for me anyway. It's too confusing or it's too intense or, I mean, cho choose your, your word. Um, I don't know. Which, so like, maybe that goes back to this common understanding, this, this standard um, where you can't even have a conversation because we don't even know what we do agree on. And we mm. can't get to that point of figuring out what we even do agree on. I, I don't know. Yeah. Because like the, the ability to have that conversation doesn't exist. You're saying like, you can't get past a certain point. Right. Yeah. In order for me to engage with you, I have to buy into what your, what your attitude is. So if in order for me to engage with you, I have to agree with the stuff that you, uh, you know, have bought into without thinking very deeply about it. I, I just have to agree with you on that. <laughs> and then we can have a conversation, which is not a conversation in good faith. It's not like a real debate because if I don't agree with you on all of it, you're going to get really upset and that's going to be the end of the conversation. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I guess that once again, kind of like brings us back to the question that we started with, like, how do we love, love these people? Because I'm sure I'm like, I know you have those people in your life. I know I have them in my life where whatever bond still exists there is an important one in that, like you made like a childhood friend college friend family member um you know it's not like you're just going to walk away from those relationships point blank uh you still and you still hope for the good for them but but having a conversation with those people is currently an impossibility right mm -hmm. um yeah so that yeah. yeah i um well, what, what do you think about this idea then? So when Christ says, love your enemies, um, in Luke and Matthew, he follows it with a command, uh, of action. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a very specific action. It, it's not arbitrary. It's not, you know, love them and give them whatever, you know, do, I don't know, <laughs> make them happy. Um, but he says, do good and lend expecting mm -hmm. nothing in return. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, he, he says for he himself the most high okay so god god himself is kind to ungrateful and evil people be merciful just as your father is merciful so i find this very helpful um when thinking about okay so what do you do then if you can't have the conversation well there are concrete ways of showing your love and this is where it's kind of it's a wonderful blessing like whether that is um when they're in need, you help them out, even though you might not agree with them on things. I mean, in other words, it's not always about, can you have a conversation with them, but can you still bestow mercy on them? Can you still um, love them through your own actions, uh, even if it's silent? Um, you know, he says, do not judge, you will not be judged. Do not condemn, you will not be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. Um, the whole do not judge thing is taken in a weird way today, I think. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I think the essence of that is 
be eager and ready to forgive more than you are ready to dismiss and run away from <laughs> that person. So I, um, let's see, this was probably like eight years ago now, maybe. Um, it was right after I, I think it was my first year of teaching. Um, I was newly invigorated with like all of the ways that classical education and the liberal arts were going to change the world, you know? <laughs> um, they had graduated from Hillsdale the year before, all this stuff. Went home to visit my parents and they happened to have uh, a priest friend of ours over for dinner one of the nights that I was visiting. And um, this priest had been uh, one of my teachers in high school and he had been the assistant at our parish for like three or four years, something like that. So like he's pretty close with our family um, and I had a pretty, uh, pretty good relationship with him. And um, we kept, we just got into this great conversation in which I was trying to convince him of like the need for classical education, like that needed to start right now, if anything was going to be done in the world, pretty much like this, I'm, I'm using blanket terms here in order to describe my own eagerness. Uh, but I think it, it's, it suits the, the story fine. And his pretty consistent rebuttal was like, okay, Shannon, people are happy to put things in their brains, but they have to have food in their bodies first right? Like there has to be a nurturing of their bodily needs, their physical needs before, uh, before we're able to give them the food that the spiritual food in some ways, but also the intellectual food that will continue to feed them in ways that are not just of the body. Right. And what he really like it, it was just a really good conversation for me to have. Obviously I, I still remember it like almost 10 years later at this point um, in which he was pointing out the need for any church's assets and uh, energies to first essentially go towards charity, right? To, and to go towards the action of caring for our neighbors to ensure that we know how to love other people to give them food, to give them clothing, right? Going, kind of going back to those spiritual works of mercy. And all of that has to come first, right? And obviously in, in the conversation that I was having with him, um, it was very, he was really saying, you know, that has to come before you're ever going to, to convince someone to pick up Aristotle or something, you know? Um, and I think, I think that history probably serves as a great example of that, that may well need to come in order to lay the path for preaching the gospel, right? Um, at the very least, the two can't be separated. Mm. Um, and, and that's, a, that's just an important thing to remember. And it's especially hard. It's especially hard when we are so far from the people that we love, like physically distant 
mm-hmm. you know, like I consistently lament the fact that I don't live down the street from you, you know, um, right. I don't live close to a ton of my family members. I do have neighbors, right. But I don't know them in, in quite the same way that as many of those other family members, maybe who, who have, or friends who I want to maintain that relationship with. Um, and now it's, and now it's become very difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that you're the, the priest has a very good point. Um, if you're going to tell someone that you love them and yet you aren't willing to make sure they have food on their table, are they going to believe you? Yeah. You know, um, which I, yeah, you know, true classical education is embodiment. It's not simply words. It's not simply teaching knowledge, but, um, or information, but it is an embodiment of the principles that are being taught of the virtue that's at the foundation of the education. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that every classical school also has to be a, a charity bank. Um, but it, it does mean that, uh, um, yeah, there, there has, there has to be some, some sort of connection there between the community that is supporting the school or surrounding the school, um, and, and the families that are involved in the school. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I think, you know, one of the easiest and best ways to do that is to have a classical school that's actually tied to a church. Um, yeah. Because then you have you have an institution that's already working in that direction um, and doing those things. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I think yeah, the, the, it man, we always come back to this problem of being far away from everyone that we know. I think that's like every single conversation we have, we we talk about that. I, so you know where Andrew and I are in just like our conversation about life and, and what comes next and, and all the questions therein. Um, and <laughs> I think it was, I think it might've been after a conversation um, that you and I had, and I'm pretty sure I texted you and I was like, why don't you just live down the street? (laughs) And then like later that day, I was like, Andrew, are we thinking about life wrong? Like, do we just need to say, buy mountains, buy outdoor life. We're just going to where there are people we can love, you know, like, is that? Let me answer that. that, Let me answer that question for you, Shannon. No, don't do that. (laughs) And... (laughs) <laughs> mountains are so much more important and better than people i'm just gonna oh man forget about the people and definitely just mountains stay in the mountains don't hug back kate they don't <laughs> hug back that's the thing um i'm i love them just but... so everyone knows i'm kidding we know, we know. <laughs> um but anyway point being uh it's Gosh, I, I completely agree. It's come up so much recently. It just, at least in my own mind, just like, I just need to be 
in your people. And I, and I think it all comes back to kind of exactly what we're talking about. Like it's, it's so difficult to, to feel as though you belong, I think yeah. to, to anything yeah. in um, both in today's society, but also how much the last year coronavirus COVID crap has um, just accentuated that difficulty. Um, the conversation that I've had multiple times recently, three, three or four times recently, um, is uh, related to uh, the Benedict option. Yeah. And um, which is just an idea that keeps coming up over and over. Um, and so much criticism of this, which I don't really understand. But anyway, it's because um, people haven't actually taken the time to read Dreyer and know what he's saying. Right. Because nothing he's saying is radical. <laughs> and he's a really easy guy to hate. Anyway, um, yeah. so, but, but like one of the big criticisms is, okay, so you're just going to go isolate yourself. Um, and that's what you Christians are going to do. And that, that's so hypocritical because you're supposed to love your, your enemies. And um, so it fits in perfectly with this. And, and my reading of that is, no, you've got it all wrong. The whole point is that you have a community where you have security, you have a solid you know, group of people who you agree with, you, there is strength in that, and you are able to go out from there and love those who are not in your community better and more effectively. Um, yeah. And that is a practical thing. There's a reason that you build solid communities um, where, where you do agree and you do stand on a, a firm, united foundation. Um, it's actually so that you can serve those outside your community better. Um, and that's the, that's the proper idea of that with, with ultimately with the goal of bringing those people into your community. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's the, the fact that people are continuing to, play that card against Dreyer of like oh you're talking about isolation it's like no this is talking about the Christian reality that um you need a community in order to function right right um and 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 I just I just wonder if it's when we talk about loving our enemies if that's actually why it seems more difficult today. I think you said that earlier Um, because we're not living in those communities anymore, naturally. Um, And, and, and you, you know, most of us are scattered and yes, we have a church community, but a lot of us are new to those church communities. Um, So maybe that, maybe that's another, maybe that's just another little key to the, to the whole question. I mean, I think so, but at this, it, doesn't it feel like, I, I feel like this has be, been the case with almost everything we've talked about, everything I've written, like it's, everything comes back to culture and community <laughs> every time, yes, every absolutely. dang time. Sometimes depending on the subject, it's like, oh, this has to do with sustainable organic agriculture. Um, <laughs> but that's related <laughs> to community. <laughs> right. Um, and which, wow, which is, okay, so you and I both have pieces up uh, in the last week um, 
mine's on education. Yours is on taking a walk. Um, so, you know, one is a little bit more, um, philosophical and one is very, is more practical. On the one hand, you have this pretty, uh, broad idea of, of education and how that, you know, how that relates to community specifically. So why is it so important to teach children to love God, family, country? Well, it's because of everything we've just been talking about because it always is related back to community and culture. Why is it so important to get outside your house and walk around your neighborhood? Because you actually need to meet the people who you live close to. You need to at least be able to recognize their faces. And that enables you to love them because you're spending time with them and you're in person with them. Um, And, and, you know, that's exactly like those two one very theoretical and philosophical, one very practical. Those two ideas are so closely connected. That's your neighbor. That's your country. You know, you're teaching your children, go get to know the people who are close to you, who actually live amongst you. So they, they can't be your enemy if you know them. <laughs> you know, you're... Can't, can they? I feel like that's the question that we've been trying to figure out. I, I think... I don't think so. If they are, you still have to love them. Okay, maybe we should say that. If they are your enemy, then you you still have to love them anyway, which means you're trying to be their friend Mm -hmm. if they're trying to be your enemy. Yeah, so it's unrequited love. There you go. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it, right? Unrequited love. I I mean, obviously, that's a little bit of a joke, but... uh, I don't know. If it takes two to tango, at least you can ensure that you're doing your part. I, that's the best I've got, I suppose. Um, yeah, I, you know, they're never going to love you if you don't love them first. Hmm. If they hate you. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. No, that's a great. That's a great point. Well, and. We're called to be like Christ to these people and Christ loved us first. So, and the, the only way we can love Christ is because he loved us first. So in the other, in the same way, the only way our, our enemy is going to learn to love us and not be an enemy anymore is if we love them first. So, and that's, I mean, that's exactly where we were referencing scripture before. Um, that is precisely what Jesus follows the Beatitudes with, right. Is like, you are to be salt and light, you know, and, and, you are to be the light of Christ to the world. Um, and that's not accidental because yeah, isn't it great to, to live a faith in which the, um, it, our, our founding sacred text, nothing's on accident. Everything's on purpose. Everything has meaning. Absolutely. I do love it. Hey, this was a big topic to try to tackle and um, there's so much more to say and so much more to discuss and um, yeah, exactly, John. John John agrees. Um, (laughs) So uh, let's stop there for for this week and um, thanks, Shannon. This was great. Yeah, thank you, Kate.